All right, so the last part of the Advent Conspiracy is love all. Before we get too far, uh, everyone who is just tuning in online, um, not including Redverse, because you guys have a whole separate thing. If you are wondering why you couldn't get on Facebook, I don't know either. It just did not want to work for us today. But I think that was the sign. I've said for a couple weeks now that we're actually moving away from the Facebook stream. So consider this the, the end. Facebook will no longer carry our stream. If you want to watch us, head to onechurch.ca to join the stream online. Uh, download our app, which is a great way to follow. Um, the cool thing about our app is that if you chat on the app or you chat on our website, they are connected. So it doesn't matter where you're watching, you're still chatting with everyone who's watching, which is a really cool feature. If you have a smart TV, you can always tune in online at youtube.com slash onechurchca. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, as we come to the end of the Advent Conspiracy, all along, every Sunday of the month, we have brought up a new cause that we have suggested would be a good one for you to support if you don't support something already. Uh, because we didn't do the water bottles this year. We didn't dig a well. We gave it into your hands, and I've heard, <laughs> much to some people's dislike, I made you responsible to find a cause. I made you the, made, asked you to find something that you want to support, and apparently that didn't go over well for a few people. But that's okay. This is part of growing, right? As we grow up, we got to do things that we maybe don't like. We like mom and dad to do for us. So, this is part of your spiritual development. So we've talked about ShareWord Global. We've talked about Erdo. We've talked about the give.paoc.org. We've talked about Choose Life. And I said as we got to this Sunday, I was going to ask what are some of the causes that you guys decided to support? What are some things that you are thinking about? Um, I had some people tell me the food bank. That seems to be one that has been on everyone's heart to just get, give to the food bank because there's so many people take advantage of that resource. And so that is a great one no matter where you are. There's a food bank nearby. Find one. Give some food. Give some money. I was talking to somebody who had said they had four options and they're just waiting for God to give them some clarity about which one. And if they don't get clarity, it's going to be an expensive year, which, you know... God loves a generous heart, so that was good. That's a good, uh, it's the, instead of the other one where if God doesn't give me, I'm not giving to nobody. That's a bad, that's not the way we're supposed to go. Um, anyone in the house? Any causes that maybe weren't listed that you're like, you know what, I'm going to get behind this this Christmas, and I'm going to bless some people that really need a little bit of blessing. Anybody? Anyone brave enough to shout out? Cookies for kids, Cookies for kids? okay. I don't know anything about that, but you can talk to Shauna if that's something you want to get. Huh? There's cookies for kids. Okay. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for unpacking that for me. Anybody else? Any other causes that as you've been doing some research or just maybe it's something that was on your heart that this was the push you needed to get behind it? Anybody? Souls Harbor. Yes, that's a good one. We've sent teams to Souls Harbor in the past, and so... Um, maybe that's something that we need to look into doing again. M180. M180, yes. So M180 is the mission group that we support as a church already, but you have the opportunity to support them on your own. And that goes for all of our missions groups. Um, the Cochrane, no, yes, Corcoran's, um, Mission 180, 
um, Art and Brenda, and the Iran workers. That's all I'm going to say about those, because I can't actually tell you their names or where they are. So just know that they are in a restricted access nation, and me saying their names could get them in a whole lot of trouble. But we do have a group that is in a place that they're not supposed to be for the sake of the gospel, which is just an amazing thing to say. Um, yeah, there, the point is there are lots of opportunities, and as we come to Love All, this is the culmination of the whole series. This is where Love All, given to the less fortunate, given to these charities and these causes, all starts to make sense. And so my hope this morning is that as we tie it all together, maybe a few light bulbs come on, Maybe some dots get connected for you, and you're just like, oh, it all makes so much more sense this morning. But kick us all off. As I said, we're only six days away from Christmas. So question number one, what are you looking forward to most this Christmas? As we get to, oh, Aiden, you're going to share? You got your hand up? What are you looking forward to, buddy? Your brother coming for a visit? Yeah. Family coming together is always something to look forward to at Christmas. Everyone online, throw it in the chat. What are you most looking forward to this Christmas? In all honesty, I'm just looking forward to some downtime. December is crazy for the church calendar because there's all the things that we, we do that everybody sees. and There's a lot of things behind the scenes that go on. It's just like, oh boy. And of course, this week is especially as we get ready for the Christmas Eve service. Um, I am looking forward to, how did I put it in my notes? I'm looking forward to a different kind of tired. I'm looking forward to the family kind of tired where I'm chasing nieces and nephews around and, and I'm just physically tired, but my brain gets a break from all the things that I get to turn off my phone. I get to ignore all the emails. I just get to relax. So in case you missed it, the offices are closed. The church office is closed starting tomorrow, just as we get ready for Christmas Eve and as um, the staff are away taking some holidays. Um, so yeah, if you need something, you, of course, you're always welcome to call. You're always welcome to email, but um, we will not be around. In fact, one of us is going to be in a whole other country. So uh, anyways, <coughs> I don't know why that's funny. Everyone's giggling, but <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Um, anyways, to kick off Love All, we're going back to the Christmas story. If you have your Bible, you can go to Matthew 1 this morning. We looked at the story according to Joseph as he found out that Mary was pregnant with a child from God. But uh, we're actually going to take a step back and we're going to look at the portion of chapter one that everybody breezes over, the genealogies, the list of names that half of them you can't pronounce. And, and the reason we're going back to the genealogies is Matthew found it important enough to list these people as part of the account of Jesus. He felt that it was important enough to take time to trace Jesus' bloodline from Abraham to him and he intentionally picked the people that he mentions. And so as we read the story, whether you're following along in your Bible or you see it on the screen, I want you to just take note of any significant names that pop out at you. And whatever reason they're significant, whether you recognize the story or you recognize, or it's just the name that you're like, oh, that's a weird name. Just take note of the names that jump out at you. So starting in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. 
And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. And, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. After the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad. Abiad, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliad. Eliad, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Okay, everyone who fell asleep, time to wake up. <clears throat> now, thank you. Um, now, if you ever have actually gone into Chronicles and read through the genealogies, you would know that there isn't actually 14 generations between Abraham and David. And there isn't actually 14 generations between David and the deportation. Matthew is taking some artistic liberties, and he is just saying, these are the big 14. These are the ones I want to draw attention to. And I don't know what names stood out to you over this. You know, maybe it was David or Solomon, because those are guys we talk about a lot. Uh, if you know anything about the kings that were listed, there are some really good kings listed. There are some really bad kings listed, which is really interesting that Matthew would include. He's only picking select few people that he would select bad kings alongside the good kings. But the names that really stood out to me as I read through this are the fact that Matthew chooses to include the four ladies that he includes. Now, if you read through Chronicles, you read through all the genealogies prior to Matthew's, there are no women mentioned. It's because in that day, women didn't really have a bloodline. They didn't really have any rights. They didn't have the value that we have for them today. And so bloodlines are traced through the men. They're traced through their fathers and their eldest and their firstborn. And so Matthew takes the time and he says, well, you know what? These women are worth mentioning. And he picks some really interesting ones to mention in the bloodline of Jesus. We have Tamar, who we talked about a couple months ago, who dressed up as a prostitute to trick her father-in-law into giving her a child. It's a good, good role model to have. That's a good one to mention in the line of Jesus. We have Rahab, who is a known prostitute, who was the one who saved the spies in Jericho. Uh, again, 
Good role model. Good one to mention in the line of Jesus. We have the wife of Uriah. She actually has a name, but Matthew chooses not to say it. Interesting that she would be mentioned because she's the one who David had an affair with and because she got pregnant, she ended up, he ended up killing her husband just to cover it up. You know, great legacy, the wife of Uriah. And the last one that's really interesting is Ruth. Ruth isn't even an Israelite. She isn't Jewish. She's from a foreign land. And the only reason she gets mentioned in, the only reason she's a part of the story is because she comes back to Israel with her mother-in-law and marries an upstanding man in the, in the nation of Israel. But she's not even Jewish. For a Jewish man to take the time to mention Ruth is like, huh, this is really interesting. Why would you do that, Matthew? Now, I want you to keep those four names in mind, but not just the four names, the four stories that are tied to those names, because then we jump to Matthew 2, and we have another really interesting story that gets tied to the gospel of the Messiah, of the Savior of the world. Matthew 2, we meet some really interesting fellows. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to, Jer- came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet for you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise and secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. For when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose, when it rose, went before them until it had come to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now there's a lot of things tied up in the story of the wise men or the magi from the east. We talk about how Jesus was already two years old. He wasn't newly born as we typically see in the the Christmas plays. We talk about how um, they had all the records and the stars. And the really interesting thing is these guys from the east... These are not Israelite men. These are not Jewish men. These are Persian counselors. They are the advisors to the king. They are not Israelite. And somehow they see the star appear and conclude that the star is of great importance based on the Hebrew scriptures that they need to come and check this out. Now where are the Jewish people? 
Where are the Pharisees? Where are the scribes? Where are these people that are supposed to have the Old Testament memorized? Did they not see the star? Did they not look up every once in a while? Where are the Jewish people? Why are these foreigners the one who are responding? Why is it these guys who are lived so far away are the ones who recognize the signs that Jesus has been born, the Savior of the world has come, and they have traveled risking life, risking, risking everything on the off chance that they're going to get to see the Savior? Why? Where are the Israelites? Where are the wise men of Jesus' day? And it's a reminder that the story of Jesus is that Jesus did not come just for the Jews. Jesus did not come just for the righteous and those who have it all together. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came for those who have been cheated out of what was rightfully theirs because he loves them and he sees their value just like Tamar. Jesus came for those who maybe live a life that is less than reputable, less than righteous, less than, less than, less than, less than, because he, they still have value and they just need to know the truth and the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus. They need to know that God loves them despite their mistakes like Rahab. He came for those who have made mistakes and their whole life is marked by the mistake that they made and the consequences of that mistake because even though we may define them by their mistake, God defines them by the image and likeness that rests within them because they are still sons and daughters of the Most High God even if they don't know it. Like the wife of Uriah, whose name is actually Bathsheba. Jesus didn't just come for the Jews. He came for everyone, no matter their nationality, no matter their upbringing, no matter their bloodline. He came for those who weren't technically part of the chosen people. He came for everyone, like Ruth, like the wise men. See, the good news of the Savior is not just for people in church. It's not just for those who know their stuff. It's for everyone. Everyone has an opportunity to meet Jesus. Everyone has an opportunity to come into the life-saving relationship that is found in Christ and Christ alone. Everyone, because Jesus didn't come for some. He came for all. second question for you is who can you come alongside this advent season in the same way that jesus came for everyone and jesus would come alongside he didn't come for the righteous he didn't come for those who had it all together all throughout the gospels all throughout jesus ministry he's always reaching out to the sick and the poor and the downtrodden and those who have nowhere else to turn. He comes in because all throughout Scripture, not just in the Gospels, Jesus and God's heart is always for those who are down and out and have nowhere else to turn. God's heart aches for those who hurt, for those who don't have what they need, who have, they don't have a voice. He, they ache for those who suffer injustice. He aches for those who are lost and hurting. He, 
And in the same way that Jesus would go after those who are hurting, the question is for us this holiday season is who is hurting in our life that we can come alongside and like Christ, show the love, show the grace, bless them with something that maybe they need or don't have or just want to give them a little extra something that Christmas can actually be good for them this year. See, the reason it all ties together with this whole idea of love all is that we start to get the idea, we've got to go back to the beginning where I said if we don't understand worship fully, then the whole Advent conspiracy can get trapped, we can get trapped into just going through the motions and just spend less because Pastor Matt said so and just give more relations because Pastor Matt said so, but as soon as Christmas is over, I'm done with this relational stuff. And as I was thinking about worship as I was getting ready for this, and I was thinking about awe and honor and praise and everything that worship is supposed to be, I thought about those words that Paul said, that even in our eating and drinking, we're to honor the Lord Jesus. I realized that one of the greatest ways that we show honor to somebody is by imitating them. And if honor and praise and worship are all tied together, then the greatest way that we can fully worship God in our every single day, in our every single moment, is to imitate the things that He does. And Jesus set the example for us. In John 5, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my Heavenly Father doing it. Jesus was so committed to imitating His Father and worshiping His Father, He would do nothing unless Dad did it first. And in the same way we are called in our praise and our worship to honor and imitate the Lord Jesus, the way He set the example for us, we are to imitate Him. This is how we worship fully. And if we take this imitation idea, the spend less makes sense because all throughout Scripture, God never cares how much you have. God doesn't care how much of anything. He doesn't care about the stuff. Why was David remembered throughout all of Scripture? Because he's a man after God's own heart. It wasn't because David was the wealthiest. It wasn't because David was the wisest or the strongest. It was because he had a heart that aligned with God's heart. So we spend less because it's not about the stuff. God doesn't care about the stuff, so why would we care about the stuff? We give more relationally because that was the whole reason Jesus came to earth. It was the whole reason he took off his divinity, became a baby, grew up just like the rest of us because he wanted us to have a relationship not only with him but with his heavenly father. He, wa- he gave himself fully relationally. And so as we worship fully and as we imitate the one who went before us, we too give ourselves completely relationally, not just at Christmas, but every time we gather, it is relational, it is intentional. We give of ourselves emotionally, not because it's the right thing to do, but because Jesus did it first and we want to imitate him. And in the same way that God gave himself to us, we give ourselves to each other. Which comes to the whole, back to love all. God, Jesus didn't dislike anybody. Jesus loved everyone. 
And if you take that and you apply it to the way that he, we read Scripture, you start to realize that even things like the Ten Commandments that are don't do, don't do, don't do, it's not actually about taking things away. It's actually about creating an opportunity for us to love God better and to love one another better. Because if we love someone, we're not going to steal from them. If we love someone, we're not going to lie to them. If we love someone, we're not going to cheat on them. If we love somebody, we're not going to envy them and create that friction and that bitterness. If we love God, we're not going to worship anyone else because God's the only one worthy of our worship. And even as Jesus interacts with the Pharisees and he has some really harsh things to say to them, when you look at it through the lens that Jesus loved these guys and desperately wanted them to change their ways, change their minds, and follow him, all of a sudden the stories look different. Why did he call them names? You don't call people you love names? Sometimes you need a little extra to get their attention. But it doesn't mean that he didn't love them. It didn't mean that he stopped telling them the truth. And it didn't mean that he didn't stop begging and praying for them that they would change and come on in alignment with what God had called them to be. Worship fully is about imitation. And imitation, when applied to the Advent conspiracy, you start to realize that when Christmas comes and we celebrate the birth of Jesus and we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, that it doesn't... It shouldn't be an exception to the rule. It should just be a magnification of everything we're already doing. should already be committed to spending less because God tells us, that Paul tells us that we shouldn't be in debt to anyone except for the debt to love one another. So that is spend less and give more all wrapped up in that one verse. And the biggest identifier that we are in worship, the biggest way that we imitate the, we're, the times that we are never more like Jesus and we are loving on those who are down and out, who can't take care of themselves, who for whatever reason, life has thrown them a curveball that they can't get out of. And we are never more like Jesus when we come into those situations. And as he says in Matthew 25, when, you, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in jail, you visited me. When I was sick, you took care of me. And the righteous will look at Jesus and say, when did we ever do these things to you? When you do it to the least of my brothers. There it is again. God's heart for the least, for those who are going through tough times, when you do these things for the least of these, you do it to me. Why? Because we, take all the way, we go all the way back to Genesis, and when God created man, he didn't just create man, he created man in his image and likeness. And even though sin has corrupted so much in our world, you are still an image bearer of God. You still are in the likeness of your Heavenly Father. And because of that, you have intrinsic value that can never be taken away from you. And so often when things get tough and when we disagree, when we're fighting, we forget the fact that we are dealing with a son and daughter of the Lord Most High and we forget about their value and we forget about their, how much God loves them, whether they love God or not.
You are never more like Jesus than when you take the time to love those who are down and out. You're never more like Jesus when you help those who need it the most. With that in mind, the third question as we wrap up the Advent Conspiracy is what new traditions do you want to start this year? And when I ask this question, I ask it in a way of how can, what traditions can you start this Christmas that are going to encourage you to be more fully engaged in worship? Not so that Christmas is the exception, but just because, so, that Chris, so that Christmas is the amplification of what you're already doing. What traditions can you start to help you, as we said last month, finish strong? What traditions can you start to spend less so that you can give more to those in need? What traditions can you start to give more of yourself relationally and emotionally so it was more intention this Christmas so that it's not just a matter of you coming to the same house and sitting on your phones all day, but you actually have meaningful connection with those you love most? What new traditions are you going to start this year so that the Advent conspiracy isn't just something we do once in a while, but it is every Christmas but not just Christmas, it's every day of our life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this idea of worship fully just takes hold of our heart and our minds, that we would just be captured by it, Father. that all throughout Advent, as we see Christmas trees and decorations and lights and we are reminded of your birth, that it would just inspire greater worship in our hearts and our minds. And out of that worship, we would choose to be like you and spend less on stuff and give more of ourselves in a way that is lasting, in a way that is meaningful, in a way that is intentional, Father, help us this Christmas season as stress is high and emotions are high as we try, as people continue to do Christmas wrong. Father, help us to be able to love everyone, whether we agree with them or not, whether they are. Whatever the situation is, God, increase our love because you loved us first. Give us radical love because you pour out radical love on us. And as we try to do Christmas different, as we try to make Christmas and Advent about worship and not about stuff, God, help us to start those traditions and practices that are going to help us do it better day by day. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are the best gift of all. Help us to honor all that you did that we could have a relationship with you. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.